served any first responders, would you just stand right now? If there's anyone here this morning, we want to honor you. Do we have anyone here in the house? Amen. God bless you, Jamal. Thank you for your service. Wonderful. Well, I have a message that has been stirring in my heart and has been just through prayer and just seeking God this week. As we've been talking about hope, as we have been understanding that being anchored in Christ is the best place to be, that we have a hope that is both firm and that is secure. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, that we have this hope is an anchor for our soul. And so this morning, you can't talk about hope without bringing joy into the conversation. So this morning, I want to talk about joy and how we can be joyful no matter what. Now, when you say that, sometimes we think, well, I, when I look at my life, when I look at my situations, when I look back at the last 5, 10, 15 years, maybe previous situations, there's times in my life where I have not felt joy. Could anyone just say, like, I don't feel it? But the thing that we have and the confidence we have is that joy is more than a feeling. Joy is more than an emotion. Joy is anchored in Jesus Christ. And joy supersedes a feeling and an emotion. Last week, I left you with this. 1 Peter 1.8, it says this. John, if you would put it up, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And see this right here again, and are filled with an inexpressible and a glorious joy. Now, when we look at our lives, when we look at the lives of Christians, and here... In the next few weeks, we're going to be going in a series that I'm excited about called Unleashing the Gospel, of how we want the gospel to be unleashed out of our lives and to be brought not just in these four walls, but into the world, into the marketplace, into your places of influence. We want the gospel to be unleashed. Somebody say amen to that. But I believe one of the greatest things that robs our witness is that as Christians, we look no different than the world when pain, when circumstance, when, when situation comes. That when we're faced with pain, there should be an inexpressible and a glorious joy that is a foundation in our life where the waves, the storms will not rock us and throw us out of our confidence in Christ. I think when you look at joy, it's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that joy is very hard to kind of understand a lot of the times. Many times we put joy in the middle of happiness. Now, when you understand happiness, happiness and joy are two different things. That happiness only comes by a happening or a happenstance. So what that means is when you wake up and you look out the window and it's sunny, you're happy. But last week when you woke up and you looked out the window, it was rainy, you are now sad. Therefore, your emotion and your your uh, feelings have shifted because of a happening or because of a situation. Now, I think many times we miss it and we base our lives off happenings that allow our emotions and allow our feelings and our situation to be pulled by just how we feel in the moment. But see, as believers, we have this gift of joy and, and not just joy, an inexpressible and a glorious joy that is to be foundational and bedrock in our lives and is something far deeper and fuller than just happening and, and happiness in our lives. I love this. Joy comes from the presence of God. If you want more joy in your life, you have to get into the presence of God. I believe this morning as we worshiped, 
that uh, you took a step further as, as Kelsey was saying, the atmosphere is changing now because joy is coming into the room. When you think about it as we're in these celebrating the resurrection, celebrating Easter, and you look at the cross and you think upon the cross, the cross was something that was meant to cause destruction and pain, and, and it was something that would never, would, the early church would never think in a million years that would represent our faith, that would represent God, a, 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 a thing of torture. But isn't it funny, and isn't it a paradox how God used something that would cause such destruction to actually destroy death itself? And that now it is the symbol and it is the beacon of our joy because of what Jesus has done for you and I. As I shared earlier, is how joy comes from the presence of God. Psalm 16, 11. Write this down and pray this over your life. It says, thou shalt show me the path of life. And in thy presence is the fullness of joy. Whenever you're going through something, if I can't stress enough this morning, you have got to get yourself in the presence of God and fill yourself up with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And not only that, it says, and there's eternal pleasures at your right hand, that there is something that is imparted and deposited into your life every time you get into the presence of God. Joy goes beyond whether you've won the lottery or whether you're in poverty. Joy goes beyond the promotion and it goes beyond the demotion. If we were to look at the picture, really, again, that God is drawing for our lives, and if you look at the theme in the Gospels and you look at the theme of Jesus, you would see that his heart is for the church and for believers, for their motives, for their DNA, for who they're called to be, their identity, their sonship, their daughtership. They should be known for their joy. And I pray, again, as I challenge us every week when we get into the message that we take a step back and we examine our lives, and we look at our lives, and we would ask the tough question and ask the Holy Spirit, am I motivated by joy this morning? Or am I so beat up by my circumstance? Am I so beat up by my situation that I've walked away and I'm not allowing joy to motivate me in my life? Because see, I believe one of the biggest causes of depression in our lives is when we begin to turn from God and we begin to walk away and try to deal with the situation on our own. Usually if you look at, I'm depressed, it's if you look at your circle of life and what your choices you're making, the decision things are going on, is many times you're walking away from the presence of God and you're trying to handle things on your own. And so therefore there is an absence of joy. You need to know this morning that God doesn't just want joy in your life, but he wants you to live in joy. How many of you know you can live in joy, that it can be a state of being in your life? As I was studying joy, I found that even the early church referred to the Garden of Eden when you read in the book of Genesis. That is, was referred to the Garden of Paradise or even the Garden of Joy. And the reason that was is because they were in communion. They were with God. They walked with God. They created. They uh, they walked in the coolness of day with God. There was joy that was being deposited into their life. What's amazing is when you look at the life of Paul, who's a champion for joy and really challenges us by how he responds to things and how he uses situations, is he challenges us that in the middle of persecution, and really we're going to be getting into the book of Philippians here in the next few weeks, because he uses it to encourage a persecuted church 
he uses it as his really his farewell letter as he's awaiting his execution. So Paul is writing this letter in a prison with uh, two feet of sewage up to his knees, knowing that his execution is about to come. To give you some other context, I never really uh, read into this like this. As you see in the life of Paul, it says as he's writing Philipp the book of Philippians, awaiting his execution, that you'll see this theme of how he is in chains as he's writing this letter. And what would happen because they feared Paul because of really what he could do. And you're going to begin to see when you read Philippians in this light, you're going to begin to see is Paul really the one in chains or is it the Roman officials that are in chains? Because how they would uh, hold Paul when he wasn't in his cell is he would be chained to a guard for six hours, church history would tell us. And as he's chained, chained to a guard for six hours, then a guard would swap out. Now imagine when you read the life of Paul and his zeal and his ambition. If you were chained to Paul, who probably never shut his mouth, all he could do is talk about the goodness and glory of God. Who would be in prison at that point? Would it be the Roman guard or would it be Paul? I can tell you it could be the Roman guard who could not wait for his six-hour shift to get up and to be over with. So that he could stop hearing about Paul and about Christ. So I want you to see this about the early church. And again, this is in a way setting us up for our series on unleashing the gospel as well. But you need to see of what was imparted into the early church in the Acts of the Apostles. Acts 13, 50 through 52 says this. It says, but the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and against Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them. Right there, you can preach off of that. When you're going through situations in your life, you need to know that there is joy where you can just get up, dust your feet off, and keep moving forward. Don't allow your situation, your failure is not final. You need to get up and keep moving forward. And it says, the disciples, and here's what I love, were filled, somebody say filled, with joy and with the Holy Spirit. That there's an imparting, there is a filling of joy. As we get into this series, I'm asking the Holy Spirit just to begin to rip off our preconceived ideas, to begin to rip off what we think about joy, what we think is sustaining us and fulfilling us, and that we begin to ask the Holy Spirit for fresh wind, for fresh fire, that he would fill us with joy and fill us with the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good to anybody this morning? Look at Acts chapter 5. We see again really the paradox of, of suffering and how in suffering joy rises to the top. It says, and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles, they had beaten them. And they had commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. It says, so they departed from the presence of the council. Look at this. Rejoicing, you're going to see this theme over and over. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. You're going to see so clearly in Philippians, in the book of Acts, that in the middle of persecution, there was always rejoicing. That that's how they were able to walk through anything that was dealt to them. A.W. Tozer said this, and let this go deep down in your spirit. He said, God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. 
God never uses anyone greatly until he tests them deeply. Many times we see the trial, the situation, the suffering, the circumstance in our life. See, joy begins to change the perspective on what's taking place and what's happening. Joy begins to say, as hope, does, that, as hope does, is that God is working no matter what I think, no matter what I feel. Hope is the constant expectation that God is working, even in my pain, as well as he can when I'm on the mountain and things are going well. So joy, again, has a way, as we're going to see, to bring Christ out of us in our weakness, in our suffering, and in our pain. You know, when I look at our church and I hear the stories that many have walked through, Jenny, I think of you when you were diagnosed with cancer, of how you got up and you walked through it. You cried, you rejoiced, you prayed, you, did, you experienced the full range of emotion and everything that came with that. But there was a joy that was in you. You see, on mission trips, when, we were, when I was 13 years old, 14 years old, 15 years old, or she was our team leader, her name, when we would have this name game, would always be Joyful Jenny. Like, that's how she was known by, is Joyful Jenny. That joy has been something that has identified you and has encouraged me. Brother Gary, I think of you in your car accident that nearly ended your life and the faith that you stepped in, Judy, to pray and to believe and how there was a joy that got you to push past your circumstance, to push past your pain, and to believe that God is still working and that God is still moving. What do I think about you here this morning after your uh, hip surgery and your hip, uh, everything that's been going on there, how you're here. You were here several weeks ago on a, on a crutch, coming to church, making it a priority in your life. I'm telling you, we could go story after story after story of those that have chosen joy, pushed past their pain, and have seen God work and begin to use. See, here's the thing with joy, too, is it changes your perspective. Is we begin to stop seeing just the pain all the time, but we begin to see, and what we're going to see in the life of Paul, of how the chain in our life could be the very thing that God uses to advance the gospel, to advance himself in our lives. It's amazing. And see, this is the thing the world doesn't get. That's why we as Christians are seen as crazy when we rejoice in times of suffering and in times of pain. Look at, as Paul is encouraging the church in Hebrews, look what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32. It says, brethren, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to abuse and to affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on the prisoners. Again, who does that? Who has compassion on those that are torturing, causing suffering, pain in your life? And here's really where you see the gospel come alive. It says, because you suffered along with those in prison, and see this right here, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. See, when you're living a life of joy, you kind of hold things a little looser. You don't hold so tight onto your possessions. You don't so hold so tight onto your relationships because we see the early church that they had hold of something. And again, Paul was encouraging them as they were growing weary where I don't know about you, but I would not joyfully accept someone stealing from me or robbing from me. 
the other day, there was a car that was speeding. We kind of live up on a hill, and so a lot of the cars will speed down the hill right in front of our house. And I get a phone call from Bree, and she's like, babe, how do I, we have one of the, we lean cameras on our front door, how do I access this archive footage? I, I need to see what's going on, and, and there was something that happened, and I'm starting to freak out, like, hey, was someone trying to break into the house? What's going on here? And she said, no, there was a car that was speeding down the road, and, and I'm, yeah, two of them were racing, and I'm really fired up right now. I need to figure out who that is. I'm like, oh, but we're okay there. <laughs> but see, the littlest things, our first reaction is not to respond, to joyfully accept the confiscation of the property. So I'm telling you, when you're living in joy, it begin, you begin to hold things loosely in your life. You don't allow the, the confiscation of your property or the, the defamation even of your name to rob the joy that's in you because joy is not a, uh, a bedrock feeling or an emotion. Joy is something so much deeper that no matter the circumstance, you can still experience foundational things that will not shake your life or rock your situation. I wrote this down. They could do this amazing interior work of choosing joy only because of an internal reality. They had the understanding of the eternal reality that joy was available to them. And we see again in the apostles that they had to be filled, that there was an impartation to the laying on of hands of joy for our lives. So I pray whatever you're going through this morning or whatever your situation, that as you're in the presence of God, you are asking for a filling of joy for whatever is going to come your way today. I love this definition here, Sean, if you would put it up. It says it well of what Christian joy is. It says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word of God, in the word, and in the world. When you're filled with joy, it's produced by the Holy Spirit. He's the giver of it. And then the practicality of it, the cause and effect of it, as we begin to see the beauty of Christ in every situation, we begin to see him working in every circumstance. We see it revealed in the word, and then we see it revealed in the world around us. I love as well as the gospel of Luke opens up. It says this in Luke 2, verse 10. It says, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. And then the gospel ends in Luke 24, 52, and it says, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. I'm telling you, the thing that we're missing as believers in our lives is an inexpressible and glorious joy that makes the world say, what do they have? How are they walking through this? How are they making it? How are they uh, walking through this pain and rejoicing in the middle of it? That's the place that God wants to mature us to in our lives. That's where he wants to get us. Some church fathers had some great commentary I found on joy. Hear this right here. It says, our self-efforts to create happiness are all in vain. Whatever we seek through our own will is temporary. In the end, it does not satisfy. Our souls seek more, something that is beyond our own will. True and lasting joy only comes from God. It comes when we are in touch with what is divine and above our human will. It brings us lasting life, giving warmth, peace, inner cheerfulness. I love this right here. 
and says it gives us an unbothered conscience. True joy is liberating. Another commentary says, the endless food of joy is virtue. The selfish, the individualist, the miser, the hater cannot be happy. Joy cannot be jealous of anyone, nor hostile, nor hateful. One's joy is gained with humility, with patience, with truth, with freedom, and love. True joy comes lovingly to every sincere, honorable, heroic, and saintly person. Our age suffers from a lack of true joy, and sorrow is at a surplus through evil and dishonor. I'm telling you, our greatest witness in this life can be joy and operating and activating joy in every situation. So two things quickly I want to give you, practically speaking, of really how I've learned to handle situations. Bree has taught me our second point very well, being married. But really when we're walking, the thing I've seen, just practically speaking, is petty things in our life rob our joy. Can anyone say amen to that? The car's broken down. My joy's gone for the day. Um, I had a bad experience at a restaurant. My joy's gone for the day. Like, as believers, many times our joy is robbed off petty circumstances in our life. And it's pretty pathetic when we think about it, that we allow these things to rob our joy. Before I get into the points, I actually want to share a story because there's something about when you hear what someone else goes through, it begins to put your situation in perspective. It begins to say, okay, my situation, uh, me not my steak being undercooked a little bit, I'm not going to allow that to rob my joy today because I bet somebody else doesn't even have a meal to eat tonight. But I want you to put this picture up, Sean. And last night, Bree and I were watching 2020. I don't know if you watched 2020, but what you see here is a man by the name of James Cardison. And James, as you see in the first picture, he was 27 years old. And the picture of in 2014, 14 years later, 43, 42, I believe, is at 27 years old, James was a first responder, was a fireman. And him and his crew responded to a fire uh, of a family that was trapped inside of a house. James, brave and courageous, rushed into the house to rescue one of the children that were trapped in the fiery inferno. The story goes on to say that as he was in the house, uh, his, something in, of his cord to his oxygen had cut and his mask had impaled his face and uh, had caused a suction to completely uh, blaze and burn his face where he was unrecognizable. Now the face you see in the first picture is after 70 surgeries to get that appearance back right there. Now here's what really caught my attention through this story is that James, 14 years of going through surgeries, of being in hospitals for months, only eating through a straw. You and Matt can put yourself in his place. He had young children at the time as well, who uh, I believe he had babies, it said, two babies, who had never even seen his face. And so he said just the pain of going home, his children being scared of him, not wanting to be close to him. After 10 years, of his relationship with his wife. His wife ended up divorcing him. And so he said in his story, he just began to lose hope. He began to lose his will to want to even get up and live. Now, what's the purpose? What's the point? Here's the amazing part about it and what this documentary details. 
is that he got a phone call from a renowned plastic surgeon who wanted to do the first um, face transplant on James. And I challenge you to go Google it and read the story. But what took place, there was never a successful face transplant that would take place because of everything that goes into it. The base cost of a face transplant is a million dollars. And there's been some that have spent up to $5 million to get these transplants. And so he got the call in about 2013 that they wanted to do this surgery on him. But in order for the surgery to take place, it's as though trying a camel walking through the eye of a needle, that there has to be the right match, the right blood types, everything for the face to take and the blood to rush to the face uh, for the transplant to be successful. And so there was a 26-year-old who was a professional BMXer who had died, uh, who had become brain dead and declared dead from his accident. And it happened to be that this man was a match for the face transplant. To make a long story short, they agreed, they found, and began the surgery on the transplant. Now what's amazing about the surgery in of itself is the surgery takes 25 hours. Nobody is allowed to leave the room. And there's up to 100 professionals that are in the room assisting this transplant that was taking place. And so what you see here is a successful face transplant. They interviewed him last night to see how everything was going. There's a 50% chance that the whole uh, operation could kill you in the middle of surgery as well. And so now, James, when you go in, and as he was talking, there was tears rolling down his eyes. There was function in his jaw and his breathing and his ears that he went from something of a hopeless situation to a transplant to a miracle everyone's calling, the first ever successful transplant right there. And now what he says, my children aren't scared of me. He can walk into the grocery store and people not stare and point and all those things. And so it's really a miracle of technology and a miracle of science. And really, as he says, as he's a Christian, I prayed and I believe that if this was God's will, that he would make a way and he would make an opportunity. But what you, I saw through his story is that even in his hopeless situation, he still chose to choose joy. He chose to still get up every morning and believe that God can do a miracle in my situation. He chose to get up and for 10 years walk and, and endure the ridicule, endure the questioning, endure his kids not wanting, being scared of him. I pray that you see through that is that this is really a picture of the gospel, is that it's not overnight, it's not something that can happen right away, but when you get up day after day and choose to choose joy in your situation, that's where the natural meets the supernatural, and God can do a miracle as he did in the life of James through this transplant. I'm telling you, wherever you're at this morning, do not give up hope. Number one is this, of dealing practically in our situation and what we see in the life of Paul. As many times when we're struggling to choose joy, we, we say, why? Why, God? Why is this happening to me? I went to church every Sunday, and this still happened. I tithe, and why did this financial situation happen in my life? Why, why, why? We all do it. Now, the thing I've come to find is that instead of asking why, we need, we need to begin to ask what. We need to begin to ask, what are you trying to do through this situation? Because, again, we wouldn't be at this place today of understanding if we didn't understand that hope is the constant expectation that God is working even when we can't see. And so we have to begin to ask what? What are you doing, God? 
what is the purpose of this situation? I understand that nothing in my life does not go through your hands. So you are doing something through this. I want to not allow myself to fall into pity, but I want to begin to ask, what are you trying to do in this situation? Here's where we see Paul do this. Quickly in Philippians 1, it says, And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Here's what he says. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and more fearlessly. What I want you to see through that passage of scripture, that because of your chains, you don't know who's watching you. You don't know how your story is going to encourage somebody else as Paul's did. His chains encouraged the early church to then go proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ more courageously and more fearlessly. That's what the power of God wants to do in your life. He wants to put confidence and courage and give you a fearless witness to always choose joy and to not allow the chains to break you, but allow them to be a message. And even here's the thing, too, just being honest. As many times when I see a chain in my life trying to bind me and I begin to say, that's, that's Satan, that's the enemy. Hindsight, when you begin to go and look at the situation on the other side, you begin to realize, man, that chain was the very thing God was trying to use to actually set me free and liberate me of some things. The thing that I was pushing off and trying to throw off as a chain was the thing God was trying to use to do a deep work inside of me. Number two is this, so not asking why, but asking what in the situation. And this is the thing that Bree has shown me, is she's much more whimsical, much more uh, uh, chooses laughter over stress than I do a lot of the times, but is to say, so what? Some, you got to say it with a little attitude, say, so what? And with a lot of situations, and again, with, it's usually with petty things. Things that want to rob your joy, you just have to say, so what? To give you an example, we were getting our patio together, getting the furniture, getting the grill up and going. And I had, was outside, and Bree was over with Daniel and was scrubbing the grill, getting it ready after it had been sitting outside all season. And I had went underneath, get, got turned the propane on, was scrubbing all the, brushing the, um, whatever you call it, the, the grill part of it off. And I had noticed when I went and got the, the lighter that it was out. So I had already engaged the burners. And so propane was coming up. I was running, I ran inside to go and try to find some matches. I'm sure we had some matches stocked up somewhere in the house. So I'd finally found some matches, and again, probably gone three, four minutes, and propane is just coming up through. I'm sure you can picture where this is going. No, the house didn't explode, but. So I finally find some matches. I light the match, throw it on the grill, and as I'm standing over it, a, a flame of inferno consumes me. And Bree is over with Daniel, and as she, I turn around, she sees, sees and hears the flame, she looks at me, I'm thinking my eyebrows are completely gone. And she's just laughing the whole time. And that's what she does in stressful situations, she just starts laughing. And I just get stressed out, and like, oh my gosh, my eyebrows are gone, I'm probably, I don't know what's going on up there. And so she's laughing, let me look, I'm like, no, I run into the bathroom, look, my entire eyebrows are blonde. The front tips of my hair is blonde, my hair is on my arms is charred. It was a mess. But what she's doing the whole time is just laughing. I'm getting stressed out. I'm thinking, 
my face is done for. I don't know. The worst case scenario. But Bree has taught me to have the attitude of, so what? We're good. We'll make it. We're going to do it. We'll throw some lotion. We'll be fine. Whatever we got in the house, we'll make it work. I love this as well, and you know this, is that many times God can take your obstacles and turn them into opportunities. He can take your setbacks, and he can use them for setups for what he wants to do. Again, I pray this morning is that as you walk out of here, and I want to pray for you, is that you would look at the petty things in your life, and you would begin just to say, so what? Now, if you're more of a so what personality, you need to keep things in check where you just don't say so what to anything and everything. This is not a bypass for you, all right? <laughs> but that you would have the heart to look at a situation and not ask why, but ask what, and then to look at things, not just say, why does this have to happen? What is going on? I'm going to get all stressed out about these little circumstances, but that you would have more of a whimsical approach to it and say, I'm not going to allow this to rob my joy today. I'm telling you, if you go into work full of joy, you get back home on your car ride and fill yourself with joy and be a dad and be a mom, be a grandma, and you're full of joy, you're going to operate really the way God intends us to. You're not going to be edgy. You're not going to be triggered. You're not going to allow your emotions and your feelings to lead you. Joy is going to lead your life. And so right where you're at, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for a filling of joy over your life this morning. Tell you what, let's actually stand to our feet. Let's stand in faith as you're standing. And I want to pray for an infilling of joy over our lives this morning. Would you bow your head? Father, we thank you for inexpressible and glorious joy. Father, we surrender to what you want to do in our lives. God, as we, so many different circumstances are represented in this room this very moment. God, I thank you that the atmosphere has changed since we've come to church this morning, since we've entered in, since we've leaned in. God, I pray over every situation, from finances to our relationships. God, I ask for the inexpressible and, joy, and glorious joy of the Holy Spirit to be imparted into our lives this morning. Father, we receive a joy that no man, that no situation, that no circumstance can rob or take out of our lives. God, we thank you that this is produced by the Holy Spirit. God, that in your presence is fullness of joy. God, I pray that you would put a conviction for us to get into your presence this week, to fill ourselves with joy. God, we thank you for what you're going to do through this in our lives. We thank you what has already shifted and changed in our situation. God, we surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. We'll look at your neighbor and say, choose joy. Choose joy.